Part of the reason relationships used to be long-lasting is because there weren't a lot of alternatives to being in a relationship, like economically, socially, you were stuck. And so it's like, oh, my grandma and grandpa, they were together for 60 years. Isn't that beautiful? And it's like, probably because grandma couldn't have a credit card with her own name on it. But first, a word from our sponsors. It's the vibrator that has no equal. And now, Motor Bunny offers their thrusting sex machine, the Motor Bunny Buck. Enjoy a fan whore discount at manwhorepod.com slash motorbunny or use promo code manwhore at checkout. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the Manwhore Podcast. Shout out to all the tables for one, the solo travelers, and that guy at the movie theater by himself who still seems to take up two seats. This is Billy Presida, and you are listening to the Man Whore Podcast. And that guy, everybody, uh, that guy is me. <laughs> Every time. Hi, you do, and welcome to the show. I, uh, I went to the Hacienda pool party with Wallet Note Lady put on our glitters, and, and headed out onto the town. Uh, Hacienda does a great pool party. It's for anybody. Don't got to be a member. You know, I always say it's not a sex party. It's just a sexy pool party. Like, you know, it's not an orgy, but the people who go there also go to orgies. You get my drift? Like, by the end of the night, we saw some titties out. That type of vibe. Uh, anyways, we, we go to this indoor heated pool party, but first we had to, we had to go to dinner, and we're going up 8th Avenue, and I see this this older blonde woman who looks very familiar. And I, and I, and I realize I clock her as my seventh and eighth grade math teacher. I'm going to call her Mrs. Mound. And I stop and I stare at her and she, and she catches me staring at her. And then she starts staring at me. And I say, uh, do you know who I am? Which I have now been told is, is not the way is <laughs> not an acceptable way to to posit that question. I <laughs> I was told it's very narcissistic and very Billy Senior of me. What, you don't know me? No, I'm 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 Billy Presida. I've read three books my entire life. I own a company. You don't know me? I'm She squints at me and she says, "Billy Presida?" The other teacher who is looking peak real housewives of New Jersey, so I'm just going to call her Beverly Frankel. Uh, and and Miss Frankel, she was like, "Oh my god, Billy Presida." I'm like, "Oh my god, hello." Mrs. Frankel, Mrs. Mound, and uh, <laughs> turns out they were there for like another teacher's birthday party, and and um, and then that teacher, she comes out as a Spanish teacher. I'm just gonna call her Mrs. Spanish teacher. Mrs. Spanish teacher is looking at me like, like you look familiar, and and the other two, they're going, come on, come on, do you know who this is? Do you know who this is? They start giving her clues, like grew up right around the corner from school, had two little sisters, has a great mom. Which I was like, oh, they said, I have a great mom. I do have a great mom. Bobby's wonderful. Uh, and then she's like, Billy Presida. I was like, oh my God, Billy Presida. Bah, 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 bah. And then and then another teacher who, who I didn't have as a teacher, but was, you know, at the school and, and would have known me back then. She comes out of the bar next. This is like a Saturday Night Live sketch. Ignoring me, she's just like, yeah, I just made three friends in the bar. Like, we should go back in there type of, you know, <laughs> type of vibe. Uh, and, and they're all pointing at me like, do you know who this is? And without missing a beat, she just goes like, yeah, the hot guy. 
That's how sincerely cute I must have looked that night. My ego is going to hold on to the hot guy for at least a few weeks. There is nothing anyone can do to rattle me. Perceived as a total stranger, Mrs. Queen called me the hot guy. And, and just for a frame of reference, when I was in fifth grade, all the boys in school called her the hot teacher. So the hot teacher called me the hot guy. Life is a circle. We had like a little quick catch up that, you know, they were in town for a drag show and they had to lean in and whisper it and giggle when they said so. They were like, we're in town for a drag show. Ah. <laughs> they were like, we learned how to take an Uber to the city. And uh, but but it was really nice to see him because you know, this, this is a teacher. Mrs. Mound was a was a teacher who really fucking saved my ass back then. Um you know, I got bullied a shit ton back in the day. And her and her friend, Katie, who is not present, uh, you know, they they really looked out for me for a couple years. And and over the last two, three years, I've been like thinking back to my childhood and wondering, like, was all that bullying, was all that torment, was it was it really as bad as I remember? I know we all say, like, oh, you know, I got bullied. Yeah, some kids picked on me. I mean, I was bullied so much, they apparently put me on a red flag list after Columbine. Okay, it was that level of bullying. But Mrs. Mound and Katie, who apparently does not get a fake name in this story. And it was really cool to run into them on on 8th Avenue in glitter with a beautiful woman on my arm looking seemingly okay. Because I know that they were rooting for me back then. And, uh, you know, as a lifelong Jets fan, it's nice to root for a losing team and every once in a while just see them win. Glad I could kind of be there, Mark Sanchez, for, for five minutes. Uh, that was fun. Uh, if, if you want to see me doing relatively okay, I'm going to be doing stand-up comedy uh, tomorrow night, March 31st, at the Tiny Cupboard out here in Bushwick. I'm going to be on the 10 p.m. show, and you can get tickets for that at thetinycupboard.com. Folks, next month, April 16th, is my anniversary. It's going to be eight years doing the Man Whore Podcast, dropping new sex-positive conversations for you every Wednesday morning. And I would love for you to help me celebrate. Real easy way to do it is on Spotify, go ahead and leave me five stars. Even if you feel four stars about this show, for me, give me that extra star as a anniversary present. It would mean a lot to me. Uh, Spotify only recently started doing podcast ratings, so I need, uh, I need my numbers to catch up over there. Of course, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can also go leave me five stars over on Apple Podcasts or on whatever pod app you use. Uh, or better yet, share the podcast on social media. Take a little risk. Take a, take a little chance there and share a, a, a slutty sex positive show on Maine. Look, if, you're, if you have friends and family who can post you know, COVID conspiracies and Trump bullshit, you can share a dating podcast would mean a lot to me, helps grow the show. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to give a shout out right now to one person who doesn't let my bad takes stop them from giving me doll hairs on the Patreons. It's a fan whore appreciation moment. Okay. I want to give a shout out right now to Frumi Jacobowitz. I hope Leia Forrester's bonus episode was everything you could have dreamed of and desired. Thanks for supporting the podcast Thanks for enjoying the show. And right now I am running a uh, I'm running a special deal. I am for my pot anniversary month of April, I am running a maximum 
discount on annual memberships. This is the most I'm allowed to take off. I would take off more if I could, but I can't. You get 16% off. That is two months free on an annual membership in the month of April only. Pay it all up front. Get access to benefits and rewards for a whole year. Become a member today. Support the podcast that you love at patreon.com slash podcast. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash podcast. And now for this week's guest, M.A. Luckin. M.A. is a writer. She has a book out called The Lonely Hunter, How Our Search for Love is Broken. We're talking about being single. We're talking about being alone. We're talking about relationships and why we're even in them. Uh, brief note, uh, you know, this one was done virtually at MA's request. Uh, she was using a, a lavalier mic. I was giving that a try. It's not my favorite quality of microphone. You can hear her just fine, but it's, a, it's certainly a different audio quality level than you may be used to hearing on this podcast. I hope you'll forgive me. The Man Whore Podcast is sponsored by Motor Bunny, the most powerful vibrator you'll ever own. You know, I've talked for, for many years about my experience with the Motor Bunny original, and I've even alluded to the Motor Bunny Buck, which is uh, their, their hybrid thruster vibrator. But, you know, did you know that the Motor Bunny has the link wireless version where uh, you can control the Motor Bunny from your phone? Yes, they even got an app so you can control the buzzes and the twirls from afar or from across the room. And the Motor Bunny is going to hook up Fanhorn Nation with a very special discount, $50 off your Motor Bunny when you use my promo code MANHOR at manhorpod.com slash motorbunny. Yes, yes, you got to go to the URL, manorpod.com slash motorbunny, get your special fan whore discount, and, and honestly change your you and your partner's sex lives today. Motorbunny is a bit pricey, but don't you worry. <laughs> they do offer financing, which I recommend everyone do, if only so that you can purposefully miss payments so you can have a very awkward repo man experience several months down the line. I think I think that's worth fucking with your credit over, you know? I think it's worth like a 150-point dip in your credit so you can look a man in the face uh, as he tries to explain that he needs to confiscate your fuck toy. Or, you know, have no fun and and just pay the whole thing off like a normal person and and <laughs> get your fun from the vibrations. Anyways, everybody, manorpod.com slash motorbunny. Now let's get to the show. I know. What is life except content? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, just li- life is content. What am I going to do? Sit down and create something out of thin air every week? <laughs> no, Whoa. absolutely not. That sounds very difficult. So, I mean, the obvious first question I have is, uh, so you're dating? I actually lately felt I don't have the energy for dating because the truth is that I've had a lot of casual encounters with people. I think I've definitely had casual sex where like the memory of it is really fun and I'm glad I have that memory. But after a while, it kind of all starts to blend together. It starts to feel very samey because you never reach a deeper level of intimacy in casual encounters, at least for me. Yeah. And I'm kind of at a place where I want to be in a real relationship with someone, but I also like am so busy. I have so much going on and my enthusiasm level isn't where it needs to be at <laughs> to make that happen. So I think it's just not the time. I don't know. 
And there's something about it that to me had become, began to feel very transactional where it's like, okay, you do the thing I want you to do and I'll do the thing you want to do. And we're both getting the things we want, but it's not a real like connection or I don't know. It's not about the person. It's about you each like taking what you want from the other person. And I didn't really like that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you want to be transactional, you just go buy batteries. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Right? Like, <laughs> that, um, that can solve the problem. <laughs> but I'm not down on casual sex. I think it can be really fun and healthy and there's nothing wrong with it. But it's like when you're not in the place where that's what you want, it's like an energy suck, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I was surprised to hear that you do still want a like committed relationship though. I thought well, I thought the whole conceit of this this book, uh, you know, the Lonely Hunter was, uh, hey, I'm, I, I give up, I tap out, I love well, me. I think the conceit of like how it was promoted by Times UK is that they they kind of like gave it a title and gave it imagery that made it seem like I'm so thrilled with being single. I actually feel very neutral about being single. I don't think it's a moral thing, like good or bad. I don't think you have to feel one way or the other about it. And the truth is, I feel differently about it at different times. Like I see people in relationships that I would dread being in. And I feel grateful that I'm not like em- enmeshed in that. And I see opportunities I wouldn't be able to take if I were in a relationship and I'm grateful that I can do that. And then there are times when I'm like sad and I wish I had someone to cuddle up with. And then mm. there's a lot of time where it doesn't really matter. Like it's not really a part of my active daily life, like uh, where I'm thinking, Oh, I'm single Whoa. or like, yeah, I'm single. It's just neutral. Well, I am here with uh, M.A. Luckin, the uh, author of the new book, The Lonely Hunter, uh, about about being single, about like accepting loneliness, it seems like. Well, the book itself is sort of like the story about how I was at a point in my life. I was in my early 30s and I hadn't dated anyone in six years. And I kind of had come to this place where I assumed I might never date anyone again. And I kind of tried to talk to some friends about it. And they had this very outsized reaction it made me very upset, kind of almost more upset than being single was that I couldn't talk about being single except as this like temporary state. Like if you're single, it's always like a period of waiting until you finally get to be in a relationship. It's not like a valid situation. It's a problem. It's it's a problem we all need to solve. We all need to jump in at the dinner table and throw solutions at your face. And you're like, I, you could just mind your fucking business. Well, it's like, I mean, they could mind their business, but also like, couldn't I talk about it without it being feeling like attacked? That's kind of how I felt. I felt like I had to insist that I was still looking. And if I said that I wasn't looking, I was like giving up in a way that was like unacceptable to them. Um, But I kind of responded to it by writing this essay for Jezebel and it went viral and the essay is just sort of about like, when can I say I'll be alone forever? When can I like actually say that and have it be an acceptable thing to say and not something to push back against, not something that's really sad. It's just like the reality. And I got so much response from that from people who were kind of in a similar situation. I think we're kind of taught that people are always in relationships. Like you're in a relationship, maybe you break up, you have a little recovery period, and then you jump back in. But actually, lots and lots of people are single for years and years and years and years. Like people go long periods of time without sex, they go long periods of time without intimacy. And it's actually quite common, but we don't talk about it. I, I, I mean, I accept the whole idea of, hey, you know, being unpartnered or being unmarried, being single, whatever words you use for it. Uh, but, you know, people going years without intimacy, like, do you not do you not think that, like, human beings, we kind of at our core need some kind of an intimacy? No, I definitely think people need intimacy and connection, but that doesn't mean they're going to get it. Like, there are a lot of <laughs> there are a lot of barriers to intimacy. And that's sort of what my book is about is talking about how, like, 
we're really pushed to work on ourselves, to self-actualize, to like get out there and, and meet somebody. But there are so many barriers to connection in our culture. And um, I think this pressure to work on yourself is a way to deflect from changes that need to be made on a broader platform. Well, what, what have been some of the barriers for you? I think for me, like, I'm in a pretty good place, societal. <laughs> like, you know, I live in a metropolitan city. There are a lot of people around me. I'm, you know, making a decent living. Um, there are a lot of, like, things in my corner. But at the time that I, like, had gone a long time without dating, I hadn't made the effort to date. And I'd been very depressed. A friend of mine had passed away. And I kind of was just, like, in retreat. And I think what happened was I almost, like, got too far off the path. You know, like, I took, like, one little step out of the road that you're supposed to be on. And it just, like, kept exponentially growing until I was, like, way off the beaten path. And I just couldn't meet anybody anymore. And it felt so alien to try. So after that essay went viral, I was like, okay, all these people are responding and saying they've also experienced this. But there's also like a bunch of people who are like, well, you just need to do this, this, and this. You need to exercise. You need to work on yourself. You need to get out there. And I can be really like confrontational. So I was sort of like, okay, fine. I'm going to do all the stuff that you say I should do. And that will lead me to a relationship. And one of those things was dating and I started to go on dates and I hadn't in years. So I was going on two dates a week, every week for like three or four months. Were there not people like respond to the article being like, I'll date you. I, I mean, <laughs> the internet is rife with people who will say that to you, even if you don't write a viral article about it. I mean, I got, you know, a lot of that from the Times UK piece. It's funny. <laughs> I didn't really, I think like I wrote for a woman's site and I do date women, but I think a lot of the p- people in the comments were not like thinking, oh, here's an opportunity to date somebody because I wasn't no. necessarily their demographic. <laughs> also, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to date just anybody. Like, I, I feel like this oh, is course. a thing. Like, you know, like you, I don't think it's a good idea to be in a relationship with someone you don't particularly like or feel attracted <laughs> to or have anything in common with. So, like, <laughs> it's not like no one ever offered or anything. It was just like, this doesn't feel right. <laughs> What was what was your you know your your first relationship when when was that like and, and in my assume, in my entire life yeah um I guess I had you know I had relationships in high school my first college romance I had a boyfriend for two and a half years in college who I'd known a long time and then we broke up I guess like my senior year my junior year. And after that, the next person I dated seriously, I was like 26 and we dated for almost a year. And then that was kind of it. And then I mean, after that was this, uh, th- and was there not a, a long one right after that? Or that was when the six years started? That's when the six years kind of started. Yeah. Oh, like wow. I think maybe oh, I slept wow. with a couple people after that and that was it. What, I mean, when you were, when you were young, like in high school, like, did you have visions of what like a future with someone might look like? No, I don't think I've ever been the type to really fantasize about marriage or kids. I think when I've been in love, maybe I've been like, oh, we're going to have a family. We're going to build a life together. But it was like about that person. It was not a generic vision Mm -hmm. of that. And I do think that there are a lot of people who have that vision and maybe are more successful in dating for that reason because like their agenda extends beyond like, do I really love this person or not, I guess. But no, no, no fantasies of van life even. I do fantasize about van life, but it's always like me alone. (laughs) (laughs) It's a, Prisita, it's a smaller van. It's (laughs) It's like a little, it's my little like whitey hole. Um, I mean, I would love to share a life with somebody, but when I think about that, it's like, I want a person who I really think is special and connect with on a deep level because 
when you're infatuated with someone, you know, also I've like had the experience of dating someone who I wasn't super sure about, but over time we like became more intimate and you're physical with someone and you just like get attached to somebody, even if you know they're not really the right person. And I am like somebody who loves very deeply and it takes me a while to recover. So I don't like to do that to myself or I'm like, this isn't really the right person, but I'm just going to hang on to it anyway, because it's like not going to work out, but it's still going to be painful because like disconnecting from someone you're intimate with can be very painful. Absolutely. Absolutely. What's, what's painful about it for you? Um, I think, you know, the like loss of the dream that you have with this person. I think that's what a lot of the grief of a lost relationship is, is this fantasy of what could have been, what should have been, what you wish you'd done differently. And if you're close to them, you know, the loss of a friendship as well. I don't know. How do you feel about what's difficult to recover from a relationship? Well, I just got second dumped about a month ago. Second dumped, uh, like you guys got back together. She dumped me back in December. We got back together a few weeks later on Christmas. And she dumped me again uh, in early February. And then like immediately regretted it and was like, no, 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 no. I made a huge mistake. But then I was like, mm, I need some space. Uh, <laughs> I need to recover. But, you know, when you say the loss of like a vision of a future, that was a huge thing for me. Because like with this woman... We call her Wallet Note Lady on the show. She wa- she has always wanted the kids to build a life, to build a family. Mm-hmm. And I have never thought about kids because I'm a professional comedian. I can barely afford myself. Right. Right. So like I've just never thought about like, oh, like let's bring another human in. Uh, so, so it's not like I was against it. I've just never been in a situation where I had to think about it. And then I fell in love with a woman who definitely 100% wants to have kids, whether by herself, with a person, whatever, but that's in her future. And I, you know, I had to really think about that. And then I, I was, I'm into it, but kind of how you said before, it's like, I'm into it with her. Like I, none of my exes have I been like, Ooh, one day I could see myself having a fan. I've never fantasized about having a family Mm -hmm. with any of my exes, but with this woman, I see this like whole life. And if, if, if it doesn't work out with her, then the life is a very different life that I envision for myself. So when the first breakup was the toughest one, cause I was like, wow, there's an entire life. I'm not just losing her. I'm losing an entire way of life. Cause I'm, I don't see myself pursuing that with somebody else. Yeah. Only with her. Yeah. I completely understand that. I think we, I don't know. I guess when I talk about being single, I think a lot of people and like having been single for so long, I think a lot of people assume like absolutely no one ever shows any interest or something, (laughs) but it's more like, I want to feel very strongly about this because you give up a lot in a relationship. You also gain a lot, but the gain is only coming if it's like a true connection that you have with the person and you like your lives are uh, in simpatico like you both kind of want the same things you're building towards the same thing and if you're not it's just like a real it's a real burden after a while because you keep struggling to make it be this thing that it can't be Mm -hmm. i have a lover in my uh, like a newer lover in my life who i was like asking her like hey so like do you want kids because i'm trying to get like hear another woman in her 30s thoughts on on the subject and she was like doesn't feel strongly either way but then she was like if my partner if we work out long term and he want kids, I could do that. And she she almost sounded blase about like, I could do kids. And I'm like, you could? That seems like a thing you should like really want. But it was like that. I guess that was like, that's an expression of love for some people of like, 
for you, I will have the kids. Yeah. And it's also, you can't discount the pressures there are on having children and like, you know, you're kind of almost frightened into doing it because after a certain period of time, like I never particularly wanted kids, but now I'm at an age where the choice is like fading. You know, it's not like I want to, or I don't want to soon. I won't be able to. And that feels different in a way because it's like, I'm missing this chance to do this thing that I'm told is so important, even though I've yeah. never particularly felt like I wanted to do it. <laughs> right. Uh, and I also I see a lot of people have kids for that reason. It's almost like they're having a panic kid and then they seem to not, it doesn't seem like great. Actually they love their kid, but it's like not necessarily a lifestyle that actually brings them a lot of happiness. When you've dated in the past, your past relationships, is there one that today, if you could, if you could snap the fingers, you'd pick that one out of the timeline, bring it back to the present, and it this I want to do this one again. I want this one to work out. Um, honestly, no. I think I had a tendency to fall in love with people who are really emotionally unavailable and kind of selfish people. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm selfish too in certain ways, but in in like we all are. Sure. But I often choose people who are like really charismatic and fun, but who don't want to like have any level of commitment or culpability or responsibility. Mm-hmm. I think the person I most recently dated, I wish that I could have dealt with that relationship differently. It was like the first person I dated after we all got vaccinated and I'd known him a really long time as like acquaintances. We'd met like 10 years before and then we matched on a dating app and started dating. And I did really, really like him a lot, but he had just broken up with somebody and like, you know, all the signs were there that he didn't want commitment, all the signs were there that he wanted to date around a lot. Like he had like a giant vase full of condoms next to his bed, like kind of ridiculous. Oh, that's so tacky. And and it was also like a thing where I was like, not really sure. But then I, you know, I gradually grew to like him a lot and I wanted to be in a more serious relationship and he didn't, but I feel like I wasn't being good at communicating about it. And part of that is like having gone through the pandemic, having like had this, you know, divorce from, any kind of intimacy. I'm not even talking about romantic intimacy, but just being isolated from other people for so Having long. Having someone fucking touch you. Yeah. It's really overwhelming a little bit. <laughs> and I think I I kind of knew he wouldn't want it, but I didn't want to like ask because that would have been the end, right? Like that would yeah. have kind of solidified things. So I kept like kind of negotiating and excusing bad behavior and blah, blah, blah. And it just... I would like to do that again and just be really direct about how I felt because even if it would have ended anyway, I would have felt more comfortable about how I handled the whole relationship. And you don't bring it up because you're like, I don't, I don't want to scare him away. Right. Well, so I don't then, bring it up because I know if I do, he's just gonna be like, well, I don't want that. And then I have to be like, okay. Now <laughs> I'm alone again. <laughs> but we ended up breaking up anyway, because you can't really keep that kind of thing out of the, out of, you know, your relationship. It's like, if you both want different things. And for me, I would have been okay with, like, us having sex with other people. I really don't have a problem with that. Mm. But I want a primary partner. And I don't want to feel like I'm one of many people being auditioned for the part of girlfriend, you know? Like, that to me is, like, my limit. Like, like once I'm girlfriend, can we put the – you keep the condoms, please. Like, be safe. <laughs> but can you not have a vase of them next to the bed? Well, he did move them when I asked. But it was more of a thing where it's like – I had no idea if he was dating other people with the same level of intimacy because we were very close when we were together. But I had no idea, like, if there was another bunch of other girls who was having the exact same interactions with. And, like, we're all entitled to. Well, how full was the vase? (laughs) I didn't. That's why I didn't want to see it. I was like, because I have a really photographic memory. So I know I would notice. I just didn't want to There's three inches less of condoms in there. Oh, fuck. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, I, I understood what he wanted and what he was trying to do. But it was just like. 
it was also confusing for me because when we were together, we were very affectionate and like felt it felt very close and real. It didn't feel like casual, but it was. So yeah. that's hard. What what was that first? You know that first. I'll say I'll say mine first. Just that the first time I like had a real date out of the like post vaccination, there was chemistry, there was a connection, and I hadn't like experienced a connection in a while. And then we were in the texting. We kind of agreed to do love play like for our fuck date. Like we knew it was probably going to be, it might be a more of a sexual thing, but we're like, we're going to like say emotionally irresponsible things to each other just because like it's been a panty and like we want to be able to pretend we're experiencing that again. So like it was a really intense encounter because we're saying I love you. Like we're acting like we'd been dating five years and having this like raw loving sex. Well, and then, and then that was the only date. And then like, you know, the next day she's like, you know what? I just don't know that, you know, I love that. That was a really fun night, but I don't think we're going to date long term. Well, I think about that story is that there's communication there, right? Like you guys discussed it, you made a decision and you both were on the same page. Like I I didn't bend her over and say like, I love you so much. And she's like, what? You know, something and you guys like came to an agreement i think that's healthy <laughs> right so so what was that first time just being with someone to you don't have to go into graphic detail but just just like you know somebody touches your fucking shoulder for the first time it's like are you shuddering you know the sex stuff i don't think necessarily was that it was more like lying in bed together holding yeah. each other that stuff was definitely emotionally overwhelming i think there are a lot of like chemicals that are released in your body with that kind of intimacy that are a little different from like sexual excitement you know it's mm-hmm. like oxycontin this like feeling of connection that's deeper and it's kind of addictive it's oxytocin sorry <laughs> i always say the wrong one um and it both takes get a lot you of- nice and high. <laughs> both are sweet as hell <laughs> but <laughs> it takes a lot for that to leave your system like i remember after we broke up i was having like a physical reaction to it And I knew that that, like, I lost like 10 pounds in a week. And it was just because it was like my body was detoxing from these like intimacy chemicals. And I could almost be objective about it to a degree because I was like, oh, this is like your body wants more of that chemical you've been getting from this experience. And you can't have it anymore. So you're cut off. What's up, people? How are you digging the episode? Are you liking MA? Thinks you'll be alone forever? Hundreds of whoreheads are waiting to find out what you think in the champagne room. You know, but I get that sometimes you need a prompt to start off the conversation. Oh, you got so many things to say, you don't know where to start. So here is your episode icebreaker. Open Discord on your phone right now. Yeah, go ahead. Come on, come on. Take it out. Take it out. Or, you know, hey, or you can go visit manwhorepod.com slash Discord, right? And share your answer in the episode discussion channel. You got it open? Come on. I'm being patient, but let's go. I want to get back to the show. Okay, come on. You ready? All right. You're in the episode discussion channel. All right. Here we go. What is the silliest reason you stayed in a relationship? What is the silliest reason you stayed in a relationship? I'll tell you mine right now. I slept with someone a little longer than I want to because she had air conditioning and I didn't. Yeah, I'm not proud of it, but it's the truth. I was 23 and cheap, and and I'm so sorry. Uh, I probably owe her an apology one day. Uh, But hey, now it's your turn. Go to manwhorepod.com slash discord. Tap on the episode discussion channel to share the silliest reason you stayed in a relationship. 
All right, you silly goose. Let's get back to the show. Your, you know, your book is obviously about loneliness and, and being with oneself. You know, how's your, how's your family feel about that? They don't care. I don't think. I mean, I think really? they both. My mom, my parents probably want me to have someone who I feel, you know, happy with and like have that experience. But I don't. They've never been. Um, super interested I think in the idea of me getting married or having kids necessarily they're not very traditional people I mean they're both like artists and they're divorced as well and you know it's like there's just never been a part of their culture I guess <laughs> or like they rebelled against their parents and so they don't feel any need to ask me to do those things how old were you when they got divorced seven seven what what kind of like do you have like early really young memories of them together as like any anything that would give you an idea of like what a relationship was quote unquote supposed to be or like by the time you're forming memories yeah uh, that you I'm sorry can you read that like what about their oh, relationship what did that teach me about relationships I edit this thing and I go like Billy the fuck are you trying to say here it's like <laughs> what if you transcribe me asking a question it looks like a Donald Trump speech where it's like it's a lot of like three words starts to a sentence that never finishes and then it, it, you're like what is he trying to say here I think is he okay do we need to call somebody is there a 25th amendment for a podcaster I don't know uh, so uh, the question would be did, is um, did your parents set any sort of ex? Did you learn from your parents? See, it just it starts a lot. I start twelve <laughs> questions. Did your parent? Did you learn anything from your parents? Like as a young kid, about like, oh, that's like what a marriage. That's what a relationship might look like. Well, they had a bad relationship. You know, that's why they got divorced. They're really different mm -hmm. people, and they also both came, I think, from families that were abusive in different ways. And even though they themselves were not like physically abusive, and you know, it, it's traumatic to have abusive family and it makes you weird <laughs> and it like makes you damaged in your relationships and so it was very hard for them to like connect to one another after like the blush of the relationship wore off so they fought a lot and it was a really contentious custody battle so I I think it kind of like maybe just like put impose this idea of the precariousness of love and like relationships it's a really delicate thing mm -hmm. um and I do think that there's some truth and like part of the reason I'm not in a relationship is that I didn't witness a lot of healthy ones growing mm -hmm. up. Like I think that's a real thing. But I also don't see that many that are, I think like admire or want to have now as an adult amongst yeah. other adults. Like, a lot of them don't look that great to me either. So <laughs> I don't know if that makes a difference for your parents like in love. Uh, my parents uh, separated and got back together five times before they actually got divorced. Wow. Did your parents end up like remarrying or getting like steady partners after that? Yeah, my dad remarried about, I think when I was like 21. So it was like quite a while ago now. And they live together still in Michigan. And then my mother has been with her boyfriend. Yeah, since I was like eight or nine. And they're not remarried. Oh, wow. They're not married, but they've been together a really long time. As a kid, like, did you ever find that odd or strange that, like, mom was with this man for an extended period of time and not married? Well, she's on SSI, and one of the issues with being on SSI is if you have a disability, if you get married, your partner's um, income is counted towards your income. Okay. And so they take you off SSI. And she... So you were learning tax code at a young age. <laughs> you were well, I your... think this is, like, a very interesting thing because a lot of people don't realize this about people with disabilities, which is, like, so, yeah, you are almost like it's not marriage equality. Like you're le legally right. unable to get married without like ruining your life because the SSI is also connected to her health insurance. So right. if she loses that, she also loses all this medical care she really needs. That's right. really fucked up. 
That's why they never got married, part of Lee. <laughs> You're on the playground be like, M.A., like, why are they not? And they're all calling you Amy because they haven't figured out the accent <laughs> thing. So, But they're like, M.A., like, why aren't your parents this? And you'd be like, no, 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 you got to always file separately. And they're like, <laughs> well, what are taxes? I grew up in New York, so I don't think anyone was like, why aren't your parents married? <laughs> I don't think anybody cared about that. <laughs> what were the things you liked or wanted what was what did relationships give you when you were in them? Um, well, I think my first really, I mean, I don't know. Like, when does it start to count as a relationship? Because I feel like when you're a kid, you're still figuring stuff out. Like, I had a few boyfriends in high school. I wouldn't say I was necessarily getting something out of the relationship except the fun of dating as a high schooler and, like, being yeah. infatuated with somebody. Right? It's not like I'm building a life with them. Um, in college, my boyfriend at the time, you know, he was the first, first person I ever slept with. I'd known him since I was really young and... I think it was probably the most normal relationship I ever had in the sense that we were like progressively dating over time, becoming more intimate, going on vacations together, doing stuff together. Mm-hmm. So it was almost like the most traditional situation I ever had. And I really cared about him very deeply, but we were just so different. I was like really extroverted and loved activity and doing stuff. And like, he was really like, I want to stay home and watch TV and play video games kind of guy. But and it was just like never gonna like I was also really high strong as a teen and young adult and slightly now, but he was like really even keel. And so we would often have these like kind of histrionic arguments that I would start because I was just like so hormonal and weird. But <laughs> so it was just like a really mismatched thing, but we cared about each other very deeply. And then I eventually like got into a school in Paris for exchange and we broke up and I left. But I'm a terrible black slider. You know, it's funny to hear you tell this story about your girlfriend breaking up and getting back together and breaking up and getting back together. I've also done that a bunch. And I think there's an impulse behind it, which doesn't mean that this is what your girlfriend's doing. So I don't want to like get down on you. About it. But I think sometimes when you act really nuts at the end of a relationship, it's almost like you're burning the bridge because you know you shouldn't go back. And you know you're the type of person who will go back. Because I've definitely done that. Mm. And it's just like... Because you feel this regret and this loss. So you're like, well, maybe I can get it back and make everything right. But you really just cannot. Like, there's a reason you end the relationship. Timing is so important to relationships. We don't talk about that enough. We're like, you can really hit it off with somebody. But if you're not both in the same place wanting the same thing, it's just never going to work out. Like, you really need to be there. Yeah. Was there a situation? Is there a connection you've had in the past where you thought this should work except for the timing? I think I've... uh, I mean, in my book, I write about this relationship. It was like, so I went and I dated for all these months. And at the very end, I met somebody who I really fell for. And it Mm. felt like, oh, this is my story. Like, it's being wrapped up in a neat little bow. I did all the work. And now I'm being rewarded. (laughs) You're writing the whole thing. (laughs) No, I did write it. It's out there. Please buy it. You're listening. Um, And in this, you know, what happens is like, he lives on the other side of the country and we're kind of visiting each other. And it just doesn't work out because I think in my mind, I was like, Oh, we're really connecting, but actually we're not in the right place. We don't want the same things. He's kind of selfish <laughs> and I'm like kind of needy. So it's like, not really, it's like a ta- classic, like avoidant attachment style. And it was really a moment where I was like, I really was convinced that if we lived in the same place, we would get to be together. Mm-hmm. And of course, that really wasn't the issue. Like if someone really wants to be with you, they don't make you work so hard to yeah. be with them. <laughs> That's just the truth. They're just yeah. going to try to figure out they're going to try to figure out how to make this work as opposed to being like, figure it out. Yeah. And I also think we're really conditioned by media to think there's like some hidden meeting in the way people act like we can interpret it a different way or read between the lines and see that they actually care about us. But I think a really important truth to accept is that people treat you the way they feel. 
if someone is not actually treating you well, they don't feel <laughs> like really loving feelings towards you. Maybe desire or whatever, but it's not the same. I imagine you talk about a lot of your past experiences and relationships in the book. You know, what what was it like to kind of go back in that memory hole and revisit potentially very painful memories? Well, I'm a writer, so I think that's how I process a lot of things that I think and feel is by writing mm-hmm. about it. So it was probably helpful overall, but I definitely was finishing the first draft of the book in the early months of the pandemic. And that was pretty brutal because I'm like writing about loneliness while being completely oh, isolated. Oh, no. <laughs> that was more the issue. <laughs> and there are definitely things that I wrote and like moments that still bring up the feelings of that time for me in a very visceral way. And I've like cried or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think that's just the process of talking about things. And I'm an emotional person. So is there a story or person who you thought about a lot while working on the book, but they ultimately didn't make it in? Yeah, actually, I met a person in late 2019. And it was kind of funny, because by then I was living in Los Angeles, and he lived in New York, I was visiting family, we matched on Tinder. And he like super liked me or something. And he was very persistent about wanting me to real quick. How do you feel about the super like, like, do I like getting them? I definitely think it makes me look at someone again. Does it make you look at someone again when you get super liked? You're assuming that the fellas are getting super liked. I don't know. Like, I don't think we get or I'm (laughs) ugly, which is fine. Uh, But it's like uh, I have seen like on profiles, there's like super like discourse of like, don't super like me. That's weird. Or like, you know, I only talk to super likes. Seems like there's controversy. (laughs) Well, now they make you pay for them because I used to super like people by accident sometimes because it's like in the wrong kind of spot. You're like, am I on Bumble or Tinder? Do I go left, right or up and down? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I have done that where I accidentally super like someone (laughs) because I think it's Bumble. Um, And I think like recently I noticed a couple of times I did that and it was like, that's $2.99 for you. <laughs> Maybe it's my age or something. I don't know. But I was like, oh, thank God. Now I can't accidentally super like anybody. They did that for a hot minute. They tried to do some fuckery about like age. I think yeah. they were like, oh, maybe we'll charge the old fucks. And then all the like everybody was like, how dare you charge the cougars I want to match with? <laughs> don't you dare, Tinder. I know. It's funny how many younger men are like into me now. Really kind of actually... I don't like it. <laughs> you hear a lot about the cougar thing and then it comes up and you're like, oh my God. You're not cougar age yet. A, a Puma, well, I'm a 26-year-old I am. You know? <laughs> like, they are always like, I don't know. I get a lot of messages on OKQ, but it's from like people who are 22, 24, and I think it's so weird. I don't know. Older women are dope because like they know what they want. Um, they typically have uh, money and can like pay for some things. They usually have a little more stability. And like after the sex, you can play Xbox with their kids, which yeah. is really cool because she's got the new Halo. Yeah. Um, I, it's funny when you mentioned the money thing. I've like mostly felt like it's a sex thing where they assume like an older woman. Yeah, it's like easy or going to like blow their mind sexually or teach them new things. But I've noticed a trend lately where it seems like guys want sugar mamas. And I'm just like, you do not understand the sexual marketplace. <laughs> like, I am, there's no way now I'm going to pay some 23-year-old who doesn't know what the fuck they're doing to have sex with me at my age and, like, whatever. Like, I don't it know. It is an attempt to uh, to equalize the marketplace. <laughs> I mean, like, the things that I would pay for if I were paying for sex are not something that, like, a 23-year-old who skateboards can probably offer me, you know. Anyway, <laughs> it's just, like, very funny. I mean, when I was young, I dated mostly much older people um, until my period of abstinence. I dated a lot of much older people. 
And looking back on it, I'm like, what the hell is wrong with them? Like, yeah. <laughs> they were, it was kind of predatory and weird. I don't know. So, so back to the super, like when you, you were back in New York, you were visiting family. You, you, oh yeah. You so I met this person. He, he super liked me. And then we didn't meet up in New York, but he was coming to LA to visit. And I kind of wrote about him for the book. And then my editor was like, take this out. But the story was just sort of like, I meet this person. We live on different sides of the country, but he came to LA. I was back in New York a few times and he was going to come to LA again in March or April of 2020. We all know what happened then. <laughs> so it was sort of this thing about how like, oh, I actually met a new person, like someone who's distracting me from this guy I was so in love with who like kind of devastated me. And it was a very different vibe to our relationship. It was much like more intimate, like almost right away, more loving. He was more consistent, more communicative, mm. really clear about liking me. But still timing, like, you know, there's no way to control what happens in the world. You know, there's no destiny of love like there's only kind of like luck and circumstance and so yeah we were separated by the pandemic and by the time I moved back to New York he'd started dating somebody else and maybe he would have started dating her anyway like who knows but I was cut off from that encounter and we're still friends like I I still talk to him and we hang out but oh that's cool yeah that's cool in theory if he became available again would you pursue that maybe I don't know if he'd be interested or not like I don't know you never know. She's really nice. I met his girlfriend too, and she's lovely. So. Oh, that was. That's <laughs> I don't, I don't they have are any really English. nice. Yeah, they're both nice Aww. people. <laughs> you know, it's hard when like the new person is nice because you're like, well, I mean, I don't. If you care about them, you want them to be happy, and you're like, oh, well, this is like a person who will make you happy. Oh well, okay. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are a lot of people out there who we could match with. It's just like a matter of finding them at the right time. Sure. How how do you handle heartbreak? I don't think I handle it very well. I have a tendency to like ruminate on things and like go over it again and again in my head to a degree where I'm like, I don't know that this is really about the person. It's more about me like processing rejection. But I kind of feel like that's okay. I think I used to feel ashamed for having strong feelings and like taking a long time to recover from strong feelings. But my philosophy now is like, as long as you're behaving well and not treating anyone badly, you can feel big. <laughs> it's okay. Like that's not, you shouldn't have to be embarrassed because you love deeply. Do you have any, do you feel like you have learned by now better ways to handle the heartbreak? Like, do you have a, t- like if somebody asks for tips, like I imagine when you have a book, people are like, they, you know, you write a book about anything, even if, whether it's a comedy book or a serious book or a research book, people will automatically treat you like an expert. So it's like, I don't know. I, I got to imagine people are like, Hey, you got any breakup tips? No one's asked me about breakup tips. They mostly ask me like what to do if you feel lonely. I think Aww. breakup tips it I really think the only thing that gets rid of it for me is time. Yeah. And like the distraction of doing other things. And often, you know, after I broke up with that guy post pandemic, I was like so manic. I was going out every night. I was partying. I was like just constantly socializing because it was the only thing that kind of alleviated mm. my thoughts about it. I still felt bad, but it helped a lot just to be around other people and doing new stuff for sure. Mm-hmm. So would a book like The Lonely Hunter, wait, one, can you explain the title? Because I don't get the hunter part. I totally got the lonely part. I was like, I <laughs> I have an idea what this book's about. The hunter. I'm like, what? Well, the, the-, the title kind of comes from this um, poem that is about death, basically. I mean, the poem, you know, when I first Exciting. read it. <laughs> 
when I first read it, I didn't really interpret it as death, but now I kind of understand better what it is. But it's like kind of this person talking about um, having lost somebody and deciding whether or not to stay with them or to go out into life and to live life. Mm-hmm. And like later, I realized that they're talking about whether or not to commit suicide or not. So it's much darker than I intended. <laughs> but, oh my God, you, but it's like, sure. I got a great title for a book. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, sure. And then like after you have it physically in your hands and you read the poem again, you're like, oh, no. <laughs> well, I kind oh. of think it still works because so like the phrase is like, um, deep in the heart of summer, life is sweet to me still, but my heart is a lonely hunter that hunts on a lonely hill. And so they're talking about how like I can go out and I can live life, which is golden and beautiful and happening right now. But there's a part of me that's like on this hill where the person I loved is and they've Mm -hmm. died. And should I go be with that grief in that morning? And I think that's a decision people are making all the time. Like, do I stick in the place where I'm like psychologically stuck in my grief and my sadness and like being sad about the stuff I don't have, like a relationship? Or do I finally get my ass out there and enjoy the golden days of summer being alive? It's a hard choice sometimes. It's a very important uh, lesson to learn, though. <laughs> yeah, I hope I do someday. <laughs> yeah. um. But, but you know, you write a book about loneliness. Uh, it was, have you thought about, like, what happens if you do meet someone and end up in this long committed relationship? Do you have to write a new book? I don't think I would write a book that's like I was wrong <laughs> because like <laughs> because I can meet somebody and we have a great beautiful relationship and it still fucking ends like there's really and that doesn't mean it's a failure it's like a relationship can end and still be a success I think we have this idea that relationships last forever but part of the reason relationships used to be long lasting is because there weren't a lot of alternatives to being in a relationship like economically socially you were mm. stuck and so it's like, oh, my grandma and grandpa, they were together for 60 years. Isn't that beautiful? And it's like, probably because grandma couldn't have a credit card with her own name on it. I mean, I, I fetishize about a relationship that long. I, I really, I feel like I'm running out of time to be with someone for 50 years. Yeah. Like, uh, oh, I would love, I'm a big loyalty rewards whore, you know, like I will, I go to AMC because I want to, I want, I want to get my points. I want to build up. I want to get my free. T- I want my free tub of popcorn mm-hmm. uh, every whatever many movies uh, in a long relationship. I don't know. Just I love the idea of a a long steady thing, but I do agree with you that yeah, we do put a little. We the success you can have a successful one night relationship. Yeah, and you can have a successful fifty year one. Yeah. I just happen to have. I just happen to want to have a fifty year one. Yeah, I mean, and I don't care if the credit card's in my name or not. I am very. I don't. Just, just give me the ring and I'm good. <laughs> I just can't conceptualize what a 50 year relationship would be like. I don't not want it or want it. It's I, it's outside my scope of understanding. You know, I haven't really even had a longer than two or three year relationship ever. So I don't know. Sure. I, I long to celebrate a two year anniversary. I've I never done it for you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. M.A. Thank you. Uh, well, M.A. thanks for uh, chatting with us about you, you. Thanks for bringing some fun levity to such a, um, lonely sometimes sad topic uh (laughs) (laughs) well i mean uh, what you asked about writing a second book if i met somebody the thing is i'm writing about this topic just because i've had this experience and i know a lot of other people have and i think talking about it really helps and having language and discussion around it instead of like shame or forced positivity or whatever that doesn't mean i think i am incapable of love or incapable of being in a relationship it's Mm -hmm. just like this is not the time that it's happening 
Sure, sure. Well, if people want to uh, read more about your experiences and read more about loneliness, where can they go to find you? Where they, where can they find your work? Where can they get your book? Well, they can get the book pretty much anywhere. I've seen it on a lot of tables and bookstores. You can order it online. Um, the Lonely Hunter: How Our Search for Love Is Broken. I'm on Twitter at a Lutkin and on Instagram at a a Lutkin. I like to mix things up to be confusing. <laughs> <laughs> and that's pretty much it. You can read more of my work on amaylutkin.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you again. And why don't you go ahead and say goodbye to everybody. Bye, everybody. Thanks again to M.A. Lutkin for popping on. We really can stop talking to single people like they got cancer. Like, it's all right. I'm sure they've got some friends and a good vibrator. Maybe they've got a motor bunny. Honestly, if you got a motor bunny and, like, some really close friends... That's pretty close. Like, I think that's most of what you need right there. Like, you're really 80% towards the goal. And that's closer than most people get in their entire lives. But I would love to know what you thought about this week's episode. Send your comments. Send your questions. Send your criticisms. Send your thoughts about the slap to manwhorepod at gmail.com. Do make sure you're following me on the social media. My main hotspots are on Twitter at TheBillyPresida. Instagram at Billy is Presida and OnlyFans at Call Me Billy. Links to all those in the show notes. I like to keep y'all on your toes with the different handles. And uh, don't forget to pop on into the Champagne Room, our Discord server. You have your episode icebreaker for the episode discussion channel, but we got channels where you share pictures of your pets, talk about gaming, tunes, wellness. And every Sunday, we're sharing steamy hot stories in the Sexual Achievement Sunday channel. Introduce yourself today at manwhorepod.com slash discord. Uh, I'm, I'm leaving this call to action for only the most loyal of fan whores. If you're hearing this right now, it means, no, no, you know you're towards the end, but you're still listening. I love you. That's why I'm asking specifically you to help me out here. Again, the Potiversary, it's coming up April 16th. How cool would it be if on only April 16th, on the same day, we all tweeted at fake Dan Savage and said, you need to have at the Billy Proceed on. You need to have that guy from the Manor podcast on. You need to have him on the Savage Lovecast. Wouldn't that be wonderful? It's what it's been one of my main career goals. It's like that and marrying Susan Sarandon, right? Uh, and I think y'all can help me with at least the first one. So again, put it in your iCals, put it in your GCal, put up a post a note. April sixteenth, I want you to tweet at Fake Dan Savage and tell him to have me on the Savage Lovecast. Make a whore's dream come true. Uh, if any of y'all go to a comedy show this weekend, you know, just just don't laugh do, do, or groan or boo, Just, do, do, but don't go and hit the comedian. We got hit enough as kids already. And with that, I'll remind you all to stay slutty. Mm-hmm.